Blog Talk Radio. This is all about all about talking to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert. Ron. Basically, what we've been doing this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have got some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine. That's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine VTR. And now, all about wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you, best people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're not getting any rain there, are you? Mm. I'm listening. No. No? Okay. Mm-mm. All right. Yeah, because it's supposed to be in that area this time of night, so I was just wondering. Yeah. You know what I did get today, though? Uh, they what? must know when the show is. Wine Spectator magazine. I didn't know I was still getting this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got mine for... today, too. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah I have mine a, came I in today, too. too. Waiting for it to dry out, and uh, the ink is still... Uh, um, wet on here, so I'll wait till the uh, ink dries out, and then I'll uh, open the pages and, re- and start reading. Yeah, um, yeah, I got but, mine today too. It was a, I was able to, you know, look at a couple of pages on it that I'm going to share with people right now. Since you mentioned it, it's a good segue there. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't know. The 42nd annual New York Wine Experience. That is coming up on October the 19th to the 21st of this year, 2023, at the Marriott Marquis in New York City. And Mm. it's got all sorts of great guest speakers, including the governor of California and the future of California wine, and um, chefs and celebrity guests. Sarah Jessica Parker is going to be one of the speakers, and... uh, there's uh, oh some big names in wine. California Pinot Noir uh, will be uh, something they're going to be talking about in depth. They got proprietors and presidents of wineries that are doing that, and the vertical tasting uh, from uh, uh, Chateau Lynch Bagus, I believe it's pronounced. And uh, they're going to be doing a vertical tasting of Pinot Noir. And they're going to have a chef's challenge of uh, Emeril Agassi is going to be one of the chefs. Uh, Jose Andres, another one. Boy, some big names going to be at this thing. I don't know. Register today at nywineexperience.com. I don't know what the cost is, Mike. I'll give you an assignment right now. Could you... Go to that and see if New York or nywineexperience.com. And uh, they're going to signature tastings of the top 10 wines of 2022. Uh, Wow. Uh, Some 
some great wines on this list here, plus wine, value wine of the year 2022, Vue Vineyard, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, hmm, no, I got the price. What is that? Uh, this was um, Critics' Choice Grand Tastings. Uh, maybe it's not the same thing. Hold on a second. No. Uh, why this did it say, is New, uh, New York Wine Experience. In yeah, wine, wineexperience.com. Yeah. Yep, that's where I'm at. Um, okay. They have, it must be, a, okay, they have the Critics' Choice Grand Tastings, October 19th and 20th. Uh, two incredible evenings of 200-plus uh, wines rated 90 points or higher um, by Wine Spectator Magazine. Thursday and Friday, general admission is just $400. Wow, a bargain. Yeah. Uh, then they have the weekend package, October 19th through the 21st, uh, which includes, um, let's see, VIP early access for critics. Choice. So it's, I guess it's a, a step up. Uh, let me take a look at this one here. Uh, oh, yeah, it's it's somewhat of a step up. Um, and I think we should be able to do this. Uh, we, I mean, since we are this popular, it is uh, $2,795 per person. Uh, click the button to register now. Let me put uh, Ron. <laughs> $2,795. You sure you didn't read uh, that wrong? $2,795. And Kathy, Kathy with a K. I'll put K-A. With a K, yeah, with a K, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, but then, VIP uh, passes all about wine. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Discount code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two thousand seven hundred dollars. Oh my gosh. And wow. It, wow. oh my gosh. Well that includes I, I spoke, that includes the meals that these chefs are making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh wine luncheons on Friday and Saturday, uh closing champagne reception, continental breakfast Friday and Saturday, uh complimentary wine spectator bag and special gift. Uh, seated wine seminars on Friday and Saturday, and VIP early access admission for Critics' Choice Grand Tastings on Thursday and Friday evenings. And it's a whole uh, package, uh, you know, the whole thing. So, Does that um, include the hotel to Marriott? It does not say that. It does mm-hmm. not. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you, um, you know, if it's going to be held at the Marriott Marquis, you're probably going to have to stay there so you can get your breakfast and all that instead of... Mm-hmm. Trying to find transportation, so yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't doesn't say that. Um, wow, interesting. That is. Yeah. Book your room now. I can't imagine what it would cost to book the room at the Marriott Marquis. Uh, yeah, that is a, one of those, uh, and it's right in the right in the midst of it. Uh, Times Square. Uh, where was that? Uh, Fifteen thirty-five Broadway in New York, New York. So. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Okay, so it's right there with all the shows and everything else, too. So. It's right there. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, that, and you have to get there the 18th to get started on the 19th, so you're looking at five mm. nights, probably. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck. If you're going, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the computer and I'll set it up right there and and do a do a live broadcast uh uh from there. If if I'm there, 
mm-hmm. the live broadcast. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh my God. Two thousand seven hundred dollars. And it'll probably be packed. And, you know, and, and probably in a couple of months we'll we'll go on there and say sold out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, but yep. it's. I mean, they've got a lot of a lot of big names. A lot of big names coming to this thing. Yep. So, you know, some who's who of wine to New York Wine Experience. 42nd Annual New York Wine Experience coming up on October 19th to 21st. And uh, this isn't wine, but it's in the Wine Spectator. And uh, Wine Spectator also has, you know, does whiskey. It has a whiskey magazine and stuff like that. They have a cigar magazine. They have a whiskey magazine. They have a wine magazine. Uh, whiskey Ad- Advocate is the whiskey magazine. And uh, uh, Cigar Finjado is the cigar magazine. But they have Whiskey Fest, the leading whiskey festival in North America. And this is taste whiskeys from around the world. Hundreds of exceptional whiskeys from around the world will be available to sample. Access to in-depth whiskey seminars on the first-come basis is included with each ticket, along with a delicious buffet all evening. A Whiskey Fest campus tote bag, a Glencairn crystal nosing glass, and a one-year subscription to Whiskey Advocate magazine. Be prepared for an evening you won't forget. Now, this is just one evening on each of these, and this is, uh, uh, again, Mike, to buy tickets or sign up for updates, visit whiskeyfest.com, W-H-I-S-K-Y-F-E-S-T. Uh, Wine Spectator California Scholarship Foundation presents the San Francisco date, which is October 27. Why, that one is, you just have to jump on a plane right away. October 27, 2023, then back to New York on November the 9th, 2023. And then the final one is in Las Vegas, December the 2nd, 2023. A quote here, the event was phenomenal from the drinks to the food and back to more of the drinks. It was great to meet so many icons in the field as well as so many other enthusiasts. So... That's coming up, but that's only one night of each of those. It's only one night? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the one in New yeah. York on November 9th, uh, general admission for New York on November 9th is $295, <laughs> and VIP is $375. <laughs> that probably gives you an extra hour. Yeah, know, it does. Let you in yeah. an hour early or something like that. That's what VIP usually does, yeah. Francisco is the same. They're also coming to, uh, I didn't realize this was such a, a mecca for that, but Hollywood, Florida, to be de, uh, to be announced for 2024. So oh, they're looking wow. at uh, coming to Florida um, next year. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, $295, $300 for the Whiskey Fest. But, you know, great food and taste whiskeys that you would never go out and buy because they're just too expensive. Um, I was talking to my cigar friends last night, and 
again, you can go back and listen to the episode that we talked about cigars. Uh, it's in the archives. But I was talking to him last night, and Mike said it was National Bourbon Day, which I had no idea. Uh, so he he was toasting us with his glass of bourbon. If I'd known, I would have been, joined him on it, but I did not know it. So, Whiskey Fest coming up. San Francisco, October 27th, New York, November 9th, Las Vegas, December the 20th, or December the 2nd, 2023, and all those. And uh, that's uh, Wine Spectator also this month has a big article, or not big article, they have a small article in the back about the winery of ancient Rome's elite. They, uh, I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago, where they uncovered a uh, a winery in ruins of Rome, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, uh, research and all that that they're going into it. But that uh, little article on that in their buying guide, as always. But I look through here; they're talking uh, about. European travel guide to wineries and uh, what else do they have here? They talk a lot of uh, a lot of articles about summer entertaining and what to serve and all that. And then Chardonnay. Chardonnay is the main gist of the magazine. California's greatest Chardonnay vineyards, and it talks a lot about the. The Chardonnays of California and uh, the, the big vineyards that make them, and all about that. So uh, interesting. And most it's uh, Sonoma and Napa is about the Chardonnays. Well, let's see. They got Monterey and Santa Barbara. So, uh, but uh, just got in today. Haven't had a chance to really read too much of it. I saw those things about those events coming up and as always we like to keep you informed so you can start saving to attend them $2,750 to attend the one so uh, I might see you there but I doubt that very much <laughs> uh, okay so what else we got for you here uh, coming up this next week, uh, we've got a couple things that I've got to tell you about. Let's see, this is six. Okay, there you go. Uh, Tuesday, next or no, next Wednesday, the longest day of the year, first day of summer. Uh, the sun shine, uh, rises the earliest and sets the latest. So cash in on it. The summer solstice. It is beginning of officially the first day of summer, but also the longest day of the year. Days are going to start getting shorter, so it's not going to be daylight at nine o'clock at night anymore. Uh, Tuesday the twentieth, or you know, yeah, Tuesday the twentieth is National West Virginia Day. A lot of great wineries uh, in West Virginia. Juneteenth is coming up on the nineteenth. Uh, Juneteenth, uh, actually Juneteenth became popular, it seems like, a couple years ago. Uh, it's a, a celebration of the end of slavery in the United States. And so it's becoming a bigger and bigger holiday. 
Juneteenth. No, that's Monday the 19th. Father's Day is Sunday. And so give Dad some wine. Dad always likes wine. So give Dad some wine. And let's see what else we got. National Flip-Flop Day is tomorrow. So if you are into flip-flops, that's not... Boy, I tell you what, though. Flip-flops are becoming so mainstream. You see them everywhere. There's all sorts of stuff on flip-flops, and it's just amazing. So uh, I remember you used to go out and spend a buck for your flip-flops so you can wear them to the beach or someplace like that, and the little toe thing would pop out through it and stop and put it back in. And once you put it back in, it was never the same. It keep popping out sooner and sooner. So you could buy yourself another dollar pair. And that was the flip-flops that I remember. I never did like that little thing going between the toe anyway. That was always irritating to me. So... Uh, that's some of the things coming up on this coming week uh, that you can always celebrate with wine, which is the way to do it, actually. Okay, let's see what else we got for you here. Oh, I found a little article. Let me see if I can pull it up here as long as it didn't disappear. found a little article on the best boxed wines, five of the best boxed wines. If you're a boxed wine fan, you probably know these, and you probably know which ones are the best, because that's what are you doing? Don't don't. No, I don't want bounty. There we go. Okay. But uh, two thousand Americans over the age of twenty-one asking about their wine preferences and pairing knowledge find ninety percent believe wine pairings are out. Nearly 7 in 10 respondents said quarantine from the COVID, the quarantine has driven them to become more knowledgeable about wine. Two in three said their taste had became much more sophisticated during this time. This was conducted by one poll on behalf of the Idaho Wine Commission. Idaho Wine Commission. The survey analyzed respondents' quarantine habits and discovered that 84% said this time allowed them to reconnect with themselves and learn new things about wine. Wow. So, the COVID has helped promote wine, I guess, in, in a, a reverse way. It continues even more interesting. Wine lovers turn to red when sitting down to watch reality shows, 42% of dramas, 39%. And the perfect wine pairing was more of a toss-up when watching a docu-series with 30% opting for red and 22% preferring white and 21 grabbing a rosé. So uh, it is... Oh, what is this? What is no, I don't want to stay. Um, so it, it goes on the 10. Or, I'm sorry, not the 10. Uh, the best box wines uh, to vino connoisseurs, according to people, these 2,000 people they uh, interviewed here. First, black box wines. 
And, you know, if you're drinking wine in a box, black box is really a go-to for a lot of people. It is good. It's been around for a long time. It's won all sorts of awards. I mean, their list of awards is, I think, tops 100 now. Uh, and so they they got black box wine. They offer 19 different varieties, though. Did you know that? I bet you didn't because you walk into just about any store, any place you're going to get black box, and you're going to find probably five, six different varieties, but 19. I I would be hard-pressed to, to name the 19. I, in fact, I couldn't name the 19 that they offer. Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot, uh, Chenin Blanc, Riesling, and I think I'm at the end of the road here. I look at 19. Wow. I'll have to uh, check that out. And they also have nine 500 mil Tetra packs, which I don't know if you've ever seen them. There's a little... uh, well, they're not plastic; they're paper, basically uh, wax, wax coating on them. They have nine different ones of those, so they really black box has a big friend. Nineteen, though, that, that surprised me. Um, it's uh, they say black box is a people pleaser. It's straightforward and makes no you know qualms about what it is. Top spot was the toss-up between the Chateau du Chaltard and the Black Box Pinot Noir. Well, okay, Chateau du Chaltard. That must be one of their 19. I have no idea what that is. Uh, So it says uh, they adored the Pinot Noir as much as the Wineberry. Mm, Okay, well, maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm not familiar with all 19 of them. Uh, this is, although the elegant packaging of the wineberry gives it the edge, strawberry jam and baking spices mingle with light-bodied, easy-to-drink red with low tannins. And that's one of the things that Black Box, well, that I think they like in the red wines is the low tannins. It's just a nice... Uh, mouthfeel and it's just a decent wine. Consumer Reports uh, says it's uh, uh, the low tannins provides a slightly bitter astringent quality with a grippy mouthfeel. Uh, so that's her. So the Merlot makes you want to scent from a fireplace wrapped in a warm blanket. And uh, let's see, like Bosch Merlot it goes well with grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup. And so, I don't know, uh, 19. Uh, if anybody knows all 19 of them, drop me an email and let me know what all 19 black box wines are. Boda Box, number two. And that doesn't surprise me either. It's not bad. I my My wife, my engineer here, is a wine-in-a-box fan, and she likes the convenience of it. She likes it because she can pour herself a glass each night, and it's going to last until she goes through the whole box, and it's uh, just an easy way for her to drink wine, and because of that, 
she had I have seen the black box, I've seen the older box and actually seen all of these uh sitting on the counter so she can have her glass of wine at night uh, to uh help her sleep, she claims. I, I guess it does because she sleeps all right. Um so Boda Box's wine name comes from the word Bodas, B O T A S, which in Spanish uh, which is Spanish for the skins once used to store Spanish wine when traveling. Liquor boasts about their old vine Zimadol, the box wine to reign over all other box wines with its enchanting flavors, the old vine Zimadol from Bodabox. Uh, it's California wine, and it you know, gives a thing about it. I won't go into a Bodabox. Uh, let's see. I'm scrolling and trying to find out what's going on here. Uh, with almost all their wine varieties seen, it lists the favorites. Consumer Reports specifies its Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, one of the tasters said it has a lovingly lingering finish. Uh, this might not be the most highbrow cab you ever had, but it's perfectly serviceable. Boda Box. There you go. Uh, Boda Box's old vines in stands out as having that true brambly black fruit and peppery spice you expect from a Zen. All right. House wine. House wine sells four bottle boxes of bottled wine and wine in aluminum cans and pouches. And uh, it's it's pretty. I've had all these. I they're really not bad at all. You know, honestly, for the price, you're really getting a great deal. Uh, Esquire noted that the red blend of the house wine was the first box wine I really vibed with because it was also the first box. I happily polished off. So this person who reviewed it for Esquire said that it was good enough to have the whole thing. House Wine has its own version of the sweet pink rosé. And it says if you're a fan of rosé, uh, this is something that will probably grab you and you'll continue to drink it. Notes of watermelon, strawberry, and raspberry which makes it a perfect poolside drink. Also, their Chardonnays are very good, it says here. It goes well with appetizers, veggies, or meats. So, house wine is uh, another number three on, me, on our list of best box wines. Number four, Frenzia. This has been around for a while, and I'm sure you've seen that and are familiar with that. They have the five-liter box. Each box is equal to about 34 glasses of wine, so this is a great party wine. And it sells for about the same price as the three-liter boxes of other brands, so it's a little bit cheaper for you. Uh, the company also sells 1.5-liter boxes and 500-milliliter Tetra Packs. Of its most famous writing, they offer 22 wines and four refreshers. Wow, 22! Again, I think I would be hard pressed to tell you what all 22 are from Franzia. 
in the stores, you can just see some basic ones, and that's it. You don't see all of them stacked next to each other there. Uh, it's one of the most economical, they're saying, because of the price and the fact that they have four, uh, five bottles available in a box, not just four. Uh, next one, Shiplink, uh, S-C-H-P-L-I-N-K. I mean, I have to admit, I've seen that here. She got it once, and she couldn't find it anymore. So it was one of those. But it says, many wine lovers say Splink is well-balanced and good year-round. Uh, but the grapes come from eastern Austria and are grown organically by Norbert Bauer. Uh, it says New York Times on that. There's that a picture of Splink? No, that's not a picture of Splink. Why is that picture jumping up if it's not? Uh, okay. Uh, believe it or not, there's no such word in German as Schiplink. So, uh, the Schiplink Gruner Wittlerner is a very popular one, they're saying. And uh, so... That's the last one on the list. What did I say? There was five on the list. And that's the last one. Yep, five. That's the last one. Chaplink is the last one. Not bad. The, the box wines are enjoyable. Uh, they're nothing that you're going to write home about, but they are some great wines. And so there you go. Uh, if you haven't tried those, do. And if you know the list of Franzia wines, then email it to me, please. I'm really curious of what all the Franzia wines are. I, I, I am hard-pressed to name them all. Sunset Blush, there's one that just popped up here. But 22 wines uh, on their list. And the same thing with a black box. And even Boda Wines. Boda Wines has quite a few. Uh, if you know the list of these wines, then please email them to me. Because I'm really curious of what all, all the ones that are available on these things. 19 varieties in, in black box and 22 in France. Yeah. Wow. So, there you go. Uh Wine in a box. More and more popular by the day. <laughs> really are. I'm not, not just saying that they're exploding. Wine in a box and wine in bottles and are in cans and, and tetra boxes and all that. Those are you're seeing more and more shelf space in stores for those things, and it's really amazing. Okay, what do we got here? We got some more news for you here. Uh, let's see. Is it, uh, oh, the webinar. I got information on the webinar I told you about last week uh, about North American grapes, United States, and native grapes. And I'll get a hold of the two presenters and see if I can get them on the show. I'd like to have them as guests before I post the webinar up on the website. So when I do that, I will let you know. We'll get the guest on, and we'll talk about North American native grapes, and then uh, I'll post.
post the whole webinar up on the website. And it's much better to watch it because they have charts and they have different things that uh, explain things better than just talking. So you, once it's up, you really do need to take a look at it. Okay. Uh, let's see. It's on four five. Uh, this is uh, cracks in the three-tier system. We all are familiar with three-tier system. Uh, and the three-tier system is the fact that you cannot own all three license in wine, whiskey or liquors or anything else. You can own a manufacturer's license, you can own a distributor's license, and you can own a retail license. But you can't own all three. And most of the people own the, the manufacturer and retail. And the distributor is the third party that sells everything to everybody. In fact, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who was a part of one of the biggest distributorships in this country and telling us about different things and very knowledgeable. Uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable and all that, but the three-tier system has been in effect since Prohibition. When Prohibition ended, they said, okay, we need to do we need to do something, so let's make it this way. So we have distributors to distribute everything all over. And that became crazy back in that time. It still is crazy. So now they're saying that there, there there's some cracks in this system. Uh, Oregon particularly had a law allowing local brewers to self-distribute, but they were prohibiting out-of-state brewers from doing so. So the law has attracted attention of an Indianapolis law firm called Robert Epson and James Tanford, which has been lead counsel in many lawsuits against states that have anti-direct shipping laws on their books. And they found three Washington State brewers to serve as plaintiffs to challenge the Oregon law. Aha. Uh -huh. See, this is what you need to do. You need to need to find plaintiffs. You need to find law firms that's willing to do it. You need to find wineries and breweries and all this that have enough money to be able to to carry this on. So faced with the legal challenge, Oregon gave up and agreed to not enforce the law for five years while legislatures attempt to write a new one. See, in Oregon, the issue was self-distribution, whether or not producers of beer, in this case, can sell their beer directly to stores and restaurants. Until recently, Oregon had a law allowing local brewers to self-distribute. Okay, now that's that's not allowed. You've got to have a distributor because they were had retail wholesaling, or retail distributor and uh, uh, manufacturer, and it, it, it's not a small victory. It, it might seem like it. For now, what 
it means that Oregon liquor stores can buy beer directly from brewers anywhere. However, according to Tom Wark, Executive Director of the National Association of Wine Retailers, many states have similar laws, and it's unlikely that any of them will survive the legal challenge. And that's too bad, I think. It, it is said here that uh, the three-tier three system is without merit. It is a system trying to regulate alcohol distribution in 1910, which is true. I mean, the, the distributors make lots of money. There's lots and lots of money involved in distributors, and there's uh, about eight, ten big distributors around the country, and then some smaller ones. I looked up distributors uh, about a month ago, and oh my gosh, they, uh, there are some enormous ones around the country that handle the liquor and all that. And it costs everybody money to go to the distributors. You too. You are paying for distributors also. If I could sell my bottle of wine to you over the counter for $15, and then they want to put it in the store, then I would want $15 from a bottle of wine in the store, which makes sense. That's what I need to make to, to handle everything. So I say, I want $15 for this bottle of wine. The distributor says, okay, we'll put it in the store so you can get your $15. But then the distributor wants to make his money, so he either raises the price or takes it from me or takes it from the grocery store or from the liquor store or wine shop or whatever. They want to make their money because they're going to say, okay, well, we need to get the wine to $15, so we're going to have to charge more to make a profit ourselves. So they're going to charge a couple bucks, say, and distribute tax on another buck or two. So now my $15 bottle of wine is now costing you $19. Everybody's happy except you because you're now paying $4 a bottle more. But you don't realize this. You don't realize how much more you're paying on all this stuff because the distributor is involved in this. If I can sell it directly to the store, say a little wine shop, Instead of paying $19 for that bottle, you can pay $15 of what you would pay in the winery. I would work with the store and say, okay, if you buy three cases, I'll give you a discount of uh, $36 or, you know, double that or triple that. And that way you can make $3 a bottle or whatever. And you can sell my wine for 15 the same as I'm selling it but you can make your profit and I'll still be at the level of profit that I make. But the distributors come in there and say, okay, we need to have our share. And they regulate it all the way through. And if it doesn't sell, they tell the stores discount it. And they just send me money of the discount without a discussion from me, without any notification from me, they just discount it. So that is part of the three-tier system. As you can tell, I'm not a big fan. I think it's ridiculous. I owned all three licenses when I had the winery. I owned the 
uh, all three of the licenses that were required, the distributor, the manufacturer, and the retail. And it, it was, and I, I kept it up. It cost money every year, but still I kept it up because I don't like distributors. <laughs> so, so this is what's happening. There's each state has these laws, and they're trying to work on it to get away from having to go through distributors. Of course, distributors are enormous, and they have a lot of power. They have a lot of power in Washington. They have a lot of power on the state level. And they don't want to see this happening, because if they do, then, well they'll be out of business. People won't go through them anymore. They'll just go directly to the stores, which I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I I didn't like distributors, and I never used them because I was small. I was working on a, a rather small margin. And a lot of these small wineries around the country are working on a very small margin. And to get themselves in stores would, if they went through distributors, was almost impossible because they would lose end up losing money they because when you're going down the shelf and going to buy something you don't go down the shelf and say oh Florida State's winery I wonder if this is any good $15 I don't think I'll get it and you get stuff that you're used to and that you have drank and you don't want to experiment that's the problem with small wineries they get up on the shelf. You're not familiar with them. You don't know what they are. Most people just won't pick it up. Now, if you're at the winery, you get a little taste of it. You can say, oh, that's good. I'll get that. And if you can have tastings in stores, but again, that's a little difficult. Distributors do that, and that helps. But, you know, the the whole thing boils down to the fact that I, small wineries, small breweries, small uh, uh, whiskey, uh, what's my word, not breweries, wineries, are, but uh, they uh, just can't afford to use distributors all the time. So, you know, and even locally, I mean, I go around to local stores and stuff like this and try to get my wine in it, and uh, Distributors would frown on that, but as long as I had the license, I can legally do it. So, this is what's going on. Uh, the Wine Institute and Wine America wanted to, uh, wanted based on punitive fulfillment house provisions on laws in different states. And consumers in more wine-friendly states don't want Kansas or Alabama writing their laws, but the uh, Uniform Law Commission uh, went with what the Wine and Spirits Wholesale Association wanted after a successful heavy lobbying efforts. Okay, so there you go. Six, wine and Spirits Wholesalers Association. That is distributors. And they lobby, and they lobbied on it, and uh, the uh, Uniform Law Commission wanted to write laws that would help small businesses in uh, wine, liquor, and beer. 
But, oh well, it's an ongoing thing. Maybe it's a crack in the law. Maybe it's something that uh, we will see change. I, I believe me, I'm one for change in the three-tier system. I think it's uh, it, it's no good anymore. So obviously, I've I stated that a couple of times. Okay, let me see what else we got here. Uh, let's see. Let's see on this one. We've got. Told you about that. That was the wine bubbles, and why they go straight up. It's because of the coating. Excuse me. Uh, wine bubbles go straight up because of what's the word I'm looking for in the article here? Surfactant. Surfactant. That is the surface layer, the tension at the top of the liquid. It's known as surfactants, S-U-R-F-A-C-T-A-N-T-S. And because of the pressure of the surfactants, it causes the bubbles to come straight up in a straight line in champagne. Don't ask me why or how. I have no idea. But this is what a study published in Physical Review Fluids revealed. So that's why bubbles in champagne go straight up. Okay, we can get rid of that because we we all know what causes that now. Uh, let's see what this next one is here. I was going to talk about. Okay, rosé. Rosé is, is so popular, and it's becoming more and more popular, and it's being demanded by all sorts of cells and stuff. Yes, I do. I already subscribed to this. Thank you. Uh, Okay, the state of rosé. Let me give you a few numbers here. Uh, rosé accounts for around accounts for around nine percent of global still wine consumption. Nine um, percent—that's pretty good considering. Uh, in 2022, off-premise U.S. sales of rosé wine, still and sparkling, garnered nine hundred. Seven million twenty-seven thousand five hundred sixty-nine dollars, which is down from 2021. It, it slipped down a little bit. Uh, rosé wine accounted for six hundred thirty, almost six hundred thirty and a half million dollars worth of sales, where champagne. Accounted for two hundred seventy-six and a half million. Quite a bit of difference there, rosé over champagne. Top four rosé producers: number one, France; uh, number two, Spain; three, United States; four, Italy. And the top five rosé markets. Number one, France. Two is Germany. 
three, the United States, four, United Kingdom, and five, Italy. So just, uh, let's see. And let's see. I'm, what's this? Okay. Hello, Rose History. Uh, it says, the ancient Greeks can be credited with the first iteration of rosé. They often diluted blends of white and red grapes. Ordering the wines down was considered civilized, a tasteful counter to the savagery associated with drinking unadulterated wine. That was savagery. Sixth century BC, the Phoenicians brought grapevines to Manzilis. Manzilia, which is now Marseille, in southern France, and the light pink wines they produced soon caught on throughout the Mediterranean. So, six centuries BC, and rose was actually being made and drank. Uh, in 1764, Runart shipped 60 bottles of Del de Padrix as documented in an account book. Uh, for the, uh, which was the first evidence of a rosé champagne. 1869, the first rosé made in the U.S. was born in 1869 from the Zimino grape at El Pinal Winery in Lodi. 1942, Matus. Oh yes, everybody says I know Matus. The first big rosé brand to make Global Splash. It was launched in Portugal and stood up because of the bottle. Uh, it's notoriously sweet, it says, but the soldiers from World War II fell in love with it when they were over there and brought it home. Uh, 1972, the Trinchero family estates created the first modern white Zinfandel under the Sutter Home label. Though its stall as a sweet rosé wasn't cemented for another two years, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was the go-to rosé, Sutter Home rosé. Uh, white Zen, actually, is what it was referred to as. Uh, 1992, former rugby player Gerard Bertrand launched his wine company, becoming one of the world's biggest champions of rosé, and a biodynamic producer also. 2000s, dry rosé gained in popularity as Americans embraced the French rosé. Uh, during uh, 2001, the U.S. imported 17,500 cases of Provence rosé, and the number jumped over 7,100% in 15 years. 2006, Whispering Angel from Provence debuted and became for many Americans their first brush with rosé. Tony Tyrell, Brad Pitt, and Angela Jolie purchased Chateau Marvel and created the Marvel Rosé, and that jumped out in the spotlight. 2013, the rosé as a lifestyle brand emerged thanks to Instagram. 2014, the Hamptons, New York City summer hotspot and home to local favorite uh, Woofer Estate declared a 
panic-inducing shortage in wine shops and restaurants. Ooh, everybody goes, oh, no, we're running out of rosé. 2016 frozen rosé concoctions, better known as frosé, made a splash. It went viral that summer when a guest at New York City Bar Prima posted a social media video of their slushy combo of rosé wine, rosé vermouth, and strawberry puree. Puree, I guess, puree. 2020, Prosecco DOC newly allowed the production of rosé. Prosecco. So that's where we are. Uh, to age or not to age, you don't age a rosé. It's typically aged for at least, well, it says here there's a couple of them you do age, but many are consumed young, and they should be consumed young. And there's a few of them here they listed that should be aged for like a decade. I would never age my rosé. Just drink the bloody thing. That's all there is to it. Uh Rosé terms, Vingree, a very pale rosé made using the direct pressing method. Romato, considered a cousin to rosé, Romato is a historic style of Italian wine made using the gray-tinted Pinot Grigio grape. So it's historically made uh, in Friuli Vindia Graiola, Graiola. Some American winemakers have adopted this style as well. And then blush, typically a pale, sweet, inexpensive American rosé made using the direct pressing or blending method. White Zimbabwe is perhaps the best known blush wine. Four ways to make it, maceration. Red grapes are crushed and the skins are macerated in the juice for a short period of time before reaching or before racking or pressing. This is the most common way. Direct pressing, red grapes are crushed and pressed immediately and doesn't allow the skins to turn red. Sagne, also known as bleeding, this involves draining some of the grape juice from a vat early in the macration process, thereby creating more concentrated red wine in the vat and a bleed rosé from the runoff. And blending, most commonly used in champagne rosés, this method involves blending a bit of red wine with white wine. Okay, so those are the methods of rosés and those are the rosés, and that's our story on rosés tonight. Um, no, wait a minute, not quite. Here's a couple interesting little tidbits. Matus Rosé was a pop culture hit. The wine was favored by Queen Elizabeth II. Jimi Hendrix was photographed chugging it from the bottle. And Elton John's 1973 song, Social Disease, features the line, I get juiced on Matus and just hang loose. Hmm, I don't remember that. Celebrities are smitten with Rosé. In 2018, John Bon Jovi created Hampton Water with his son, Jesse Bon Jovi, in partnership with Gerard Bertrand. And other stars made their mark on the Rosé market, too, like Snoop Dogg, 19 Crimes Cali Rosé, John Levin, our legend, LVE with Raymond Vineyards, and Sarah Jessica Parker in Vivo X SJP. 
she's going to be at the wine thing too, the wine show. So, uh, rosé. It's uh, most people just ignore the rosé. I, but they want. There are some really nice dry rosés out there that are excellent with stuff. If you can find a dry rosé, it adds uh, a lot of depth to a meal that you that you're having. That you want something that's not real heavy. Uh, try it and see. Okay. Uh, Oh, there's something else. Let's see. Here it is right here. Spotted uh, lanternflies. Oh, my gosh, yes, they're back, and they are causing problems again. No, thank you. I don't want tickets. Spotted lanternfly. Uh, invasive species from China. We've talked about the spotted lanternfly lots, and it says it may ruin your summer sangria. And the reason for that is that it is getting into the grapes across the northeastern seaboard. And uh, they fly and feed on fruity vines and grapes and hops and peaches, apples, and all that good stuff. And they also excrete a honeydew, a sugary liquid that causes the crops to mold. And it's a threat to just about everything. But uh, one producer says it's COVID, COVID for the vines. It's terrible. Uh, the uh, the stores are the uh, wineries are saying that uh, cut down all their trees of heaven plants known to attract lanternflies. And they search for egg sacs or put tape around vines to trap the bugs. Other than that, they just wait. If you have a vineyard, you worry, they say. Uh, they're not entirely sure what the spider lanternfly is going to do. We know what they can do. We're just kind of sitting around what is actually going to happen. That's kind of where the hesitation or the nervousness comes from. So the spattern, uh, spotted lanternfly is starting to work its way in different places. Uh, Maryland uh, is one of them now, and it says removing the old and damaged plants will help slow down the spread and keep the flies from laying their eggs there. Uh, this one winery says that Vines that were planted more than 30 years ago are being severely hurt because of the spotted lanternfly. And a lot of the uh, wines that are used to make sangrias on the East Coast are being fed by the spotted lanternfly. And, you know, once they get into it, it causes the great plants to wilt and die. And... Uh, it's a serious, serious, serious issue. And it's working their way across the United States. They have found spotted lanternfly in Sonoma County. How it got there, I don't know. I had to have been transported there. That's the only way I can think of. So, But it's our, our latest serious issue. We, uh, Pierce disease seems to have taken a back seat to the spotted lanternfly. 
And this thing is just working its way crazily across the country and around. So, I don't know. I'll keep you informed. I keep reading about it and I keep seeing more and more stuff. And I'll keep you informed. And that's it for this week. I think we have a guest next week, too. Uh, let me okay. see. Is it June 22nd? Yeah, okay. And that is next week. So, yes, we do. We have a guest next week. And uh, okay. let me see where it is here. Yeah, okay. Uh Let's see, Tate. Oh, let me expand this. It's one of these where I've been corresponding with her for a long, long time. And we're finally getting it taken care of. Uh, Kate McManus, she's a VP of Marketing at Far Ninth Wine Estates. I, I'll have to ask her. I've always said Ninth, and I always had a TH at the end to it. And I've always been wrong, and I've never worried about it. But now, since I'm talking to her, I'm going to have to pronounce it right, I guess. So, um, she's coming up next week. So good. We'll find out about uh, Fire Night Ninth Wine Estates and uh, her job and and what's going on with it. And I, I've been a fan of that winery for many many years. I really have. I it's I love their wines and I've loved tasting their wines and and I've visited the winery at times and it's one of my favorites of all time out there. So. This will be special having Kate on talking about it. So next yeah. week. For sure. June twenty second, seven PM Eastern time, right here on All About Wine. And uh wherever else it's distributed. Uh join us live yeah. if you can and uh listen to our guest and uh Ron and it'll be a good uh, another good Thursday. So uh thank you all. Yeah, thank you all for uh, tuning in tonight, and uh, whether it's on archives or live, it's appreciated. And uh, if you have any questions or uh, you want to be a guest uh, on an upcoming show, you can email Ron at uh, email address is allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. That's allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. And And tune in. And tune in tomorrow night to Flightline Radio. Mike and his uh, show. He will be live tomorrow evening from 7 to 9. Uh, just yeah. go to flightlineradio.com and oh, you can tune into it anytime. Actually, it's 24 hour streaming, but he is live tomorrow evening from 7 to 9. So uh, be sure to check that out also. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, uh, We'll talk to you on the show uh, next Thursday. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, be safe. And um, I don't know if there's anything coming up this weekend. No? I don't think so. No. Oh, Father's Day Sunday. Oh, well, <laughs> how can we forget that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it was Father's. We're just skipping right over it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nothing going on. Uh, y'all have a good <laughs> Nothing going on. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. boy. That was a good one. Father's Day um, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have a great weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe. In. Thanks for listening.
This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine, All About Wine. with your host, Juan. For show information, links to All About Wine on All Twitter Wine. and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Just about worked out.